Turn to the text for this morning's message. That will be in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, we're going to read verse 6 down through verse 16 for our text this morning. Continuing our look at election, what Paul has to say about it as he writes, moved by the Holy Spirit, what it means to be chosen by God, and uh, our place in that. So let's look at Romans chapter 9. We'll begin in verse 6 and go down through verse 16. Verse 6 says, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son." And not only this, but when Rebekah had also conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children not being yet born, neither having done good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come to you this morning and we are thankful for your grace and for your mercy, Lord, for the time to be here, for the praises that you've allowed us to lift to you, Lord. I pray now that as we come to the preaching of the word that you would Just guide our minds and guide our hearts. Keep the distractions away. Do a work in us as you see fit, Lord, and change our hearts and draw our minds closer to you that we might be pleasing to you. I ask at this time as well, Lord, a special blessing and your healing hand upon Brother Wersky and Brother Winkleman uh, that you would guide the doctors and guide the tests and restore them to their health, Lord, and, and... Just give grace on the family, and especially Sister Cheryl, Lord. Just comfort her and give the peace that only you can give. ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today we're taking our next steps in, in our journey through Romans 9 through 11. And as I said before, some consider this scary territory. You have to be careful when you teach this because it just might turn you into a Calvinist. Or if you teach it wrong, then you make God totally subservient to man. That God is only God by our choice and He works only by our choices. And There's all kinds of things said. I think that neither is the case, as we'll see. The Bible is very clear in its truth and very clear in its working. And if we would simply accept what it says, we'll save ourselves a lot of trouble. If we would understand the context of of what is written, we'll do the same. Paul states some beautiful truth here in a very understandable way. And it's truth that we can live by and accept and and, uh, mold our lives around if we would just simply listen. And what he's dealing here 
What he's dealing with here is election. God's chosen people. God's place in that choosing. Our place in being the chosen ones. And he's answering some questions. Questions like, who is the elect? How do you become a part of them? And if you are one of God's chosen, does it matter what you do? And we'll explore some of that more today. I realized last Sunday you probably had a lot of info coming at you, maybe a little bit of overload. And uh, I tried not to do that, but sometimes it's just the way it works. Maybe basic information to some of you, I understand, but I wanted to make a vital point clear. We needed to make a vital point clear. And I hope that you understand that God has a chosen plan for man. He has a predestined plan, one that is foreknown, established before the world was ever created. That Christ would be the atonement and sacrifice for sin. Before anything was spoken into existence, it was foreknown that Jesus would die for the sins of mankind. That He would be the one to be the atonement for sin. And He would be the one not only to purchase redemption, but to purchase a people unto Himself. The the foreknown plan of God was to save man, to save men and women, and to make them heirs of the kingdom. And He has chosen to work through, chosen to be represented by, to be glorified in, and to glorify His people, His chosen, His elect. Which I stated, I believe the Bible says very clearly, is Israel in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament and today. That is God's foreknown plan. And all of Romans up to now has told us how we become a part of that. Salvation by grace through faith. Yielding our life to Him in baptism and a new life as part of His body. And then living led by and filled by the Holy Spirit as part of His people. Walking and identifying as His people. And Paul doesn't break the thought here in chapter 9, 10, and 11. He continues on with that. He's he's continuing on to talk about that. So let's keep that in mind as we come to the text. This isn't like new territory. Paul's just continuing his discussion. We need to understand a few things this morning. We need to understand what's already been written and what that factors in. We need to understand who he's writing to. He's writing to the churches of Rome. And we also need to understand his style. Okay? Sometimes that can kind of mess with us. Paul's a brilliant uh, thinker. He has a lawyer's mind. So what he'll do as he's writing is he, he has the ability to think of a, a subject from all different perspectives. Not only how he thinks about it, but how somebody else might think about it and objections they might raise so he can anticipate questions. Well, if I say this, a Jewish person is going to say this, so how do we answer it? Or if I say such and such, a Gentile or a pagan or whoever is going to think of it this way, so how do I explain it to them? Paul has the ability to do that. So that's why you'll be going along and all of a sudden he'll he'll ask a question and answer it. Well, what he's doing is he's anticipating uh, different people's viewpoints. 
And he's doing the same here. He's answering a very important question in those people who would be reading. You understand that the church or the churches, because Rome was a huge city, and there was more than likely one New Testament church there, so he writes to those people. Um, They would have been made up of all kind of different backgrounds. Those that came from a Jewish background or those that came from a pagan background or a Greek background or Gentile, whatever you want to call it, they would have been made up of all kind of mixed background, mixed races, mixed lifestyles. They had come out of that and been saved and been part of the body of Christ. And as he writes what he does in Romans chapter 8 and chapter 9, the Jewish people would have a question, okay? Because didn't he say in chapter 8, if God be for us, who can be against us? He works all things together for His chosen people, those that love Him. And what's going to separate us from God? Nothing. So here's what the Jewish people would think. Well, hold on. If that was Israel, how did they fall away? If you're saying that God's elect people, you know, He works for them and, and nothing can separate them, well, how did Israel fall away? Because after all, doesn't Isaiah 45.4 say this? For Jacob my servant's sake and Israel my elect. And didn't he just say, look in verse 4 of chapter 9. Who are the Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises and whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came? If all of that is working in Israel's favor, well, how can they fall away, Paul? And Paul's going to answer that. He's going to answer the question, can the elect fall away? Can the elect turn their back on God? And we must just, before we get into it, we must say there's there's one interpretation that many people take. There's one camp will say this. We'll see, they fell away because they weren't really saved. They were part of God's chosen, but they weren't really chosen. So Ishmael and Esau and Pharaoh, they're all the same. They're lost. They had no chance. They might have appeared it on the outside, but they weren't really chosen to be saved. So there's no way that they could have been faithful. I mean, is is that the argument Paul's going to put up? I don't think so. I think we'll see as we dig in. So let's see what Paul has to say about uh, this subject here. First, he starts off in verse 6. It's not as though the Word of God hath taken none effect. It's not as though the Word of God has fallen out. That's what this word, taken none effect, means. To fall out or to fall down or to become powerless. It's not as all that he has said in the Old Testament now is for nothing. Did, did God not keep His promises? Did God's Word become um, powerless because they didn't believe? Flip over to chapter 3. I want you to see this. Paul answers this question already in Romans chapter 3 and verse 3. He says this, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid! Yea, let God be true and every man a liar. No, people's disbelief did not nullify the Word of God. 
Just because some in Israel did not believe doesn't mean the promises have come to nothing. Doesn't mean God is unfaithful or God doesn't keep His word or work through His word. No, in fact, we read how God keeps His word and works through the Jewish people in a mighty way, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. Listen to Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost the empowering of the church. Here's what it says as Peter Peter gets ready to preach this sermon on this day. It says, There were at Jerusalem, there were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Do you understand the thousands who would have been here for this day were Jewish people following, practicing the law? And they come from all different realms. It says they come from Oh, it lists them all in Acts chapter 2. It lists a bunch of different um, um, nations or cities. Let me, let me find it real quick so I can read it. And it's not speaking of nationalities. It's speaking of where they're from. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and parts of Libya and Cyrene, strangers of Rome, which is how this church got started. Jews and proselytes, people from all over of Jewish background, they hear what Peter says. They hear the message, and it says in Acts 2.41, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. The first church is made up of thousands of believing Jews to whom God kept His Word, His promise. No, God's Word didn't fail. Listen, you might witness to some people, you might see unbelief in the world around you, never doubt the power of God's Word to do God's work. One person's disbelief does not make this void. One nation's disbelief does not make this void. It's not as though the Word of God hath taken none effect. No, God's Word does its work. And then he says this in the next phrase of verse 6. For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. They are not all God's people, God's chosen nation, who are of or from Israel. Well, whose name was changed to Israel? Do you remember? Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Not everybody who is born an Israelite, is what Paul's saying, is part of God's people spiritually. In fact, it's as Jesus says, it's always been this way, as Jesus says in John chapter 3, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Somebody being born an Israelite didn't automatically make them spiritually good. And Paul now is going to explain here in the next verses by giving some examples. It's not as though God's Word has taken none effect. Yes, Israel has fallen away, but you need to understand not everybody who is born an Israelite is automatically spiritually good with God. It's not by physical heritage. It's not by birthright. It's spiritual. He's going to give a couple examples to show us what he's talking about. So let's look at these examples And then we'll explain what it means for us today. He starts in verse 7 with the first one. Neither 
because they are the seed of Abraham, are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise is counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah will have a son. He's pointing to Isaac. Isaac is the promised one. Well, as we understand that story, Paul's actually kind of dealing with Abraham and some choices he made. Because Abraham, well, Abraham had several sons. But he had two main ones that we think about, right? You know the story. Abraham is called out of Ur of Chaldees and the Lord comes to him and says, follow me to a land I'm going to show you. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to do great things. The the earth will be blessed because of you. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. And by the way, all of this, I'm going to give you a son. Now, Abraham, when he first receives this promise, was 75. And his wife, Sarah, was barren. She had no kids. She couldn't have kids. And God tells him, I'm going to give you a son. That's what it says right here in, in both verse Oh, excuse me, in verse 9, at this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. Well, sometimes God likes to make us wait. <laughs> sometimes He asks for us to trust Him. And between the giving of the promise, when Abraham is 75, and the coming of Isaac, there's 25 years. Abraham and Sarah are like 100 years old when Isaac is born. So think of how the human mind will do that. Let's say about, I don't know, year 10. God promised me 10 years ago that I would have a son. I'm 85 now and man, I'm old. (laughs) My body can't do this anymore. My wife's body can't do this anymore. And so what does he do? He goes around the promise of God and Sarah gives Hagar, her handmaiden to Abraham, and Abraham takes her and Ishmael is born. Ishmael is the firstborn of Abraham. Big mistake, causes a lot of problems. In fact, all of the Arab nations that we have that hate the Jews are Ishmaelites. But he goes around the promise of God to do his own thing. And Ishmael doesn't become the son of promise. No. What does it say? In Isaac shall thy seed be called. Abraham made a wrong decision. He went around the plan of God to do his own thing. And you know what? Even at one point he says in Genesis chapter 17, Oh, that Ishmael may live before thee. Oh, that Ishmael may be the promised son. God, why don't you just make Ishmael it? And you know what God's answer is? No. My covenant I will establish with Isaac. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. No, it's not my way. It's not my work. It's not my promise. It's not my plan. And so Ishmael is rejected from being the heir, even though he is a child of Abraham. The human mind says, well, that's just mean. Come on, God. Why do you have to do that? What did Ishmael do? Ishmael's a child too. He deserves everything that Isaac deserves, doesn't he? Except that he was illegitimate to the promise. 
he was not what God promised. And Abraham went around God's promise to do that. So he gives that example. Isaac is the son of promise because Isaac is the promised one. Keep that in mind. We'll, come, we'll circle back to that. Then he moves on to another example in verse 10. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children not being yet born, neither having done good or evil, so that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works but him that calleth. It was said to her, The elder shall serve the younger, for it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Now, he goes on to the example of Esau, who is the legitimate son of the legitimate son of promise. He's Isaac's boy. In fact, he's him and Jacob are Isaac's boys. Like, he stands in the position to inherit. He's the legitimate one. But yet, verse 12 says that God says before they're born, the elder is going to serve the younger. Actually, Paul is quoting Genesis chapter 25. And you know the story of that too, right? They're twins, but they're really different. Isaac's this big, hairy guy, and Jacob is not. <laughs> and Esau, excuse me, Esau is a big, hairy guy. Esau likes hunting and, and doing all this outdoors stuff. Jacob's not. But uh, we, we're told of the story where Esau's out hunting, and he's doing this, his thing all day, and he comes in, he's hungry. He says he's faint. And Jesus, uh, Jacob's making some, some stew or porridge or whatever you want to call it. And Esau says, hey, I'm about ready to die. Give me some of that, that soup. And Jacob says, well, sure, sell me your birthright. And Esau makes a statement uh, we'll get to later, but fine, take it. Here's the birthright I need to eat. And then it comes time some years later as Isaac is dying that it's time to give the blessing, the birthright, and it goes to Jacob. It doesn't go to Esau, it goes to Jacob. And then Esau is crushed and he tries to do all these things to gain it back. He begs with Isaac. He, he tries and he tries, but it goes to Jacob and Jacob takes the position of the firstborn son. Esau forfeited his standing by a sinful choice. And try as he might, he couldn't get it back. We'll circle back to that again in just a couple minutes. But it's some kind of interesting examples to use. Interesting examples that Paul chooses to show and explain how Israel fell away. Again, there is some saying that this is a, a sovereign hand of God blocking them. And to some extent, it is. And we'll get to that in chapter 11. But to say that man had no part in this, I think, is wrong. God, in His foreknowledge, knew exactly what would happen not only with Isaac and Jacob and Esau and Jacob and Israel, but He allowed men to make choices and to feel the consequence of those choices. Let's look a little bit as, at the explanation. Back in verse 7, let's look at the, the, the example of Abraham and Isaac. 
He says in verse 7, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. Again, it's not by physical birth. Abraham had several sons. Not only did he have Ishmael, but he had, after Sarah died, he took a woman named Keturah to, uh, for a wife and had some sons by her, but neither one of them was the child of promise. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. Verse 8, That is they which are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of promise. The children of promise are counted for the seed. What is he talking about there? Only one of Abraham's sons was God's work. Only one of Abraham's sons was God's doing. He was the one, Isaac was the one that fulfilled God's promise that the covenant was carried through. Isaac was God's accomplishment and listen, Isaac was the one that required faith. Ishmael didn't require faith. The other sons didn't require faith. Isaac did. I'm going to give you a son to your wife who is barren. That requires faith. After, I don't know how long Abraham and Sarah had been married. Let's just say by the time Abraham's 75 and Sarah's not much younger. Let's say 40 years, 50 years, maybe more. After 40 or 50 years of trying to have kids, God promises the barren wife, the son. Isaac required faith. He is the work of faith. You understand what I'm saying? The one that God did. God's accomplishment. What made somebody part of Israel spiritually? Faith. It's faith. Look in chapter 2. Turn back there if you would. Paul says this in chapter 2 and verse 28. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. It's talking about spiritual faith, that change of heart that we all need, that that salvation that we all need, that inward work that requires faith. It's not by man's doing. It's not by man's devices. It's not even by men's own works. Paul says in chapter 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves into the righteousness of God. Part of why Israel fell away is because they didn't have faith. They weren't following or walking by faith. They were going by their own works. Just like Abraham did. Here's the promise. I'm going to go around that. No, in Isaac... Thy seed shall be called. It's the faith that I look for. And Israel didn't have that. Okay, what about Esau? Look in the explanation he gives in verse 14. Chapter 9 and verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith unto Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Listen, Esau stood in the place to inherit. 
You realize the Bible could have said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But it doesn't, does it? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He threw it away. Why did he throw it away? Is it because God hated him? By the way, that verse there, verse 13, is quoting, I believe it's Malachi, um, which is written thousands of years later, after it had all played out and Esau's line had gone away from God. Is it because God never gave him a chance? Is it because Esau was locked into this before he was born? No. Esau got his chance and he made his choice. God knew that would happen. He foresaw and foreknew what would happen. He foreknew that Jacob would have more faith in the promise than Esau. And so he says what he does. By the way, the elder is going to serve the younger. Which could have been a warning to Esau to not fall away. But no, Esau got his chance. And judgment came. Was God unrighteous in what he did to Esau? Because he got like one chance. Maybe two. Because Jacob says, sell me the birthright. And Esau says, okay. And then he says, swear to me. That's like two chances. Esau got like two chances. And then you know what? You're out. You're out. I doubt this was the first time something happened, but this is what we have recorded in Scripture. And listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. For ye know how that afterward when he, Esau, would have inherited the blessing... He was rejected. Listen, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. God, please forgive me. God, please put me back there. Please, please let me have it. No. But Lord, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. No. You had your chance. It's done. That's pretty harsh, right? Oh, man, that's not cool. Aren't you supposed to forgive us every time? Says the human mind that likes to throw God to the side for lesser things any and every time we want and then expect Him, demand Him to overlook anything we've done against Him and automatically make us good again. Throw your human reasoning in the trash. This is God. No, it's not harsh. Is God unrighteous? God forbid. For He saith, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God can have mercy and compassion whenever He chooses. And whenever He chooses not to. You and I just think He ought to choose to do it every time for us. And if He doesn't, He's a big cosmic bully. A meanie God. 
He is God. Esau, his desires, not God. You, me, our fleshly desires, not God. God is God. And he makes a a declaration in his sovereignty. I can have mercy on whomever I want. Esau took advantage of God's mercy. He put his flesh, flesh first. God's calling and God's blessing last. And listen, God honored his choice. And Jacob inherited it. Not that Jacob was a saint, no. <laughs> Jacob, Jacob had his own issues, and he paid a lot of prices until God broke him. But one thing that he did have was faith in the promise. What did Israel do? They rejected God. When Christ stood before him, they rejected him multiple times, but ultimately I think it comes in Matthew chapter 12 or 13 when they say, you do what you do by the power of Satan. And then what happens? Parables, a separation. They made their choice and God honored their choice. Just like Esau. His summary statement of it is in verse 16. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Now there's been a lot of interpretation of this and um, some people say that it's not of man who wills or man that works. I think he's talking about the examples. It's not of him that willeth who wanted their son to inherit the blessing. <coughs> Excuse me. Abraham with Israel, Ishmael, right? Oh, that Ishmael would walk before you. Lord, why don't you just make him? No. It's my work. Not of him that runneth. Oh, Esau ran around when it's time to get the blessing. He went out to get that meal, to make it, to prepare it, to come into Isaac, to be blessed. It was of no avail. It's not of him that runneth. Neither one gets it. Who is it from? But of God that showeth mercy. God that showeth mercy. It is God in His mercy that provides it. So what does this mean for us? Okay. First, I would point you back to verse 6. Not as though the Word of God hath taken none effect. Don't doubt God's Word. Don't doubt God's Word. Listen, even if some people don't believe. Because you know the people in your life. You've witnessed to them time and time and time again. And maybe you've had the chance to just lay it all out and they listen. Maybe it's multiple times they listen and they reject. People aren't saved when you first share the Word with them. Their eyes aren't opened when you first tell them about what the Word says for God's plan for their life. Though that can be discouraging, understand, that doesn't cancel His Word. That doesn't cancel the power of His Word. God's Word does His work. You let Him do the job of convicting. You let Him do the job of working. God tells us He will do His work. He is the one that opens eyes. He is the one that opens blind hearts. He is the one that shows people His plan. He tells us that He will. He tells us how He goes about to establish it. What we need to do is stay faithful to it. You realize there could have been a lot of people that would look at the example of Israel, a lot of Israelites in that time especially, 
that would look at the example of Israel and say, you know what, what good does it do? I'm out of here. No. All of God's promises do not go away. And there have been people who have been discouraged in God's own work today because of the rejection of some people's hearts. You stay faithful to what you know to be true. It's not as though God's word hath taken none effect. No, God's word still does His work. It does not depend on man's belief. We know what the predestined plan is, right? We've seen it. And so you and me, we can follow it faithfully or not. That's what we need to be concerned with. The second thing I would uh, leave with you is that uh, let's be careful of pride like Israel. Real Christianity isn't naming a name. You understand? Real Christianity isn't naming a name. It isn't a claim. And so many do, right? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. You probably hear that a lot. I'm a Christian. Me and God are peas in a pod. We're good. And you listen. And you watch. And something's not right. There's many people who can't even tell you when they were saved. They don't know. They don't know what it is. When were you saved, huh? Well, I've always loved Jesus. No, you haven't. The Bible says we haven't. The Bible says none is good. None is righteous. No, not even one. Some haven't darkened the door of a church in years. Doesn't mean that saves them. That not, doesn't save them. But you think you'd want to put your life in the right place after the one who saved you from hell. Right? They haven't darkened the door of the church in years, and some say they never will. I don't do the church thing. And they live life how they choose. They just claim the name. Like fire insurance. Literally. Is that what it's about? I'm Israel. I am an Israelite. I'm automatically good with God. I'm a Christian. Hell, that's not how it works. It's not just claiming a name. It's by faith. It's by faith. And some have even gone around God's word and God's promise and God's covenant to do their own thing. To do their own will. And then they expect God to accept it and bless it. Oh, that Ishmael would live before thee. No, Abraham. You didn't follow my word. You went around my promise. It's going to be an Isaac, not him. No, Christian, you didn't follow this. It's not going to be in what you think or what you want. It's in my promise. That's what I accept. Not because you went around. There are so many people who go around what the Word says and to do their own thing. And they ask God to accept it. Listen, you want to know what God accepts? God accepts His own work. Period. God accepts His own righteousness. How are we saved? By any of our own work? No, it's by the work of Jesus on the cross. It's by grace through faith. He accepts that and nothing else. How is it that we are made holy through Him working in us by His Spirit to change us? Not any other way. 
God accepts His work and His righteousness which He gives to us. Not man's. Abel's Abel's sacrifice was righteous because it pointed to Him. It was according to God's law, as was every sacrifice through Scripture, ultimately to Christ. God accepts His own work. It's us following Him in faith. It's us having faith in His Word. It's us having faith in His promise, in His work. It's not children of the flesh. It's children of the promise by faith. Because of, uh, according to the flesh, Isaac was impossible. How's a woman who's barren going to have a son? That's impossible, not with God. And so God steps in and does the work. And it is the work that is blessed. Isaac is my work. That's what I accept. God accepts His work. There is one work that He does so that we might be saved. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. No man comes to the Father but by Me. Jesus Christ is the only way for salvation. Ephesians 2 and verse 9 says, It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And there's a lot of people working to try to save themselves, right? They're trying to say enough Hail Marys or pay enough money or crawl enough miles on their knees or... All kinds of different things. None of that buys salvation. None of that earns salvation. It's through Christ and faith in His blood alone. There's one way to serve Him. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, There is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And may I say, that's the promise most have gone around Most will not see that. They will not submit to that. They will not yield their lives as servants to Him. They go around that and try to do their own thing and expect God to bless it. And even as we do serve as part of His people, it's still God that does the work. Philippians 2 says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God, listen, which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It's God working in us. It's it's Him. All we do is have faith in it. All we do is follow. It's not by family. It's not by birth. It's not by status. My son is a fourth generation Baptist. By all rights, he could stand up and say, my family's been in the work for, I don't know, close to 100 years probably by now. But that wasn't automatic for him. No, nor was it automatic for me. He had to place his faith in Jesus to be saved. He had to submit his life by faith through baptism to the church. It's not something that's automatic. It's by faith. It's by faith. It's not claiming a name. And so many have gone around and done their own thing. They have their own Ishmael. You understand what I'm saying? They have their own Ishmael, their own works, and they say, God, accept this. God, honor this. What has God said? It's my work that I honor. And even within His own people, it could be said, not all the church is the church. Your name might be on a roll, but is it by faith in our hearts? Are we living it out by faith? 
letting God work. The blessings, the election is not of him that willeth. You may want them. You may want to attain them. You know how we get that? We follow him in faith. That's how we get it. In fact, it says in Romans 8, 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. It's by faith. The last point I'd like to leave you with is this. Don't assume the promise. Like, I'm here, I'm good, it doesn't matter what I do. I've been a member of the church, well, how long have I been? 30 years? Making me start to sound old now. <laughs> I've been a member of, this, of, a, of his church for 30 years. I'm good. No. I'm only good as long as I follow in faith. You understand? We have no room to assume anything. I can be just like Esau. I mean, for him it was like easy, right? You're the oldest. You should understand your position and just inherit it. But yet he chose to throw it away. He was given the chance. And he could have, he could have took, you know what he could have said to Jacob? Be quiet. Give me the soup. Some of your birthright. No, give me the soup. Nice try. Go on and play. But he didn't. Actually, here's what he says. And to me, it's hauntingly relevant. It's scary how much I hear this in today's world. Here's what Esau says. When, when Jacob says, sell me some of your birthright and I'll give you the soup. Here's what Esau says, Genesis 25, 32. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? (laughs) What good is it to me right now? What good is it? What good is the promise of God if I can't pay my bills? What good is the promise of God if I can't have this or I can't live there if I'm not happy or I'm not healthy or if I can't get the things that I want? No. You know, what good is it right now? I want this more. And that, that right there is the number one reason people have left the work. They want right now more. Whether it's possessions or money or a high or pleasure or their own Ishmael's. They want right now more and they say, what does it matter to me? What good does all this promise do to me right now? We're too short-sighted. It's not that They're not saved. It's that they're short-sighted. They can't see past right now. And what is in their vision is money and pleasure and things. All that they say are more important than God. Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. By the way, Demas was with him in earlier letters. Demas is with me. And at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy, when he writes that, he says he's, he's gone. He loved this present world more. Short-sighted that that this isn't real to them. What the Bible says isn't real to them. Abraham had that point in his life. I know you promised a son, but I don't see it coming, so I'm going to take care of things right here. 
Esau, I, I, what good does it do me right now if I'm dead? Short-sighted to the promise of God. Israel did the same thing. What are you, you're not going to free us from Rome? What are you talking about giving your life and, and all this? You're not the king we want. And they forfeited their position. Listen, this is an ever-present danger and the devil works overtime to do his best to draw us away. To get us to take our eyes off of what this is all about. And sometimes we do and all the while we expect and even demand that God will restore us or reinstate us. Now listen, we're going to start touching right now on some things we'll talk about next week. But listen, God is so very merciful, isn't He? God is so very gracious to us. You and I both know in our own lives, we don't deserve what God has given us. We don't deserve all the times He's forgiven us, right? He's so good. But you understand, He owes us none of that. None of it. And it may be that we choose the wrong thing once too often. We're not immune to that. Esau made his choice and he had to face the consequences. You understand? We could do the same. God says, I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And praise God, He has with me. But I better be careful I don't step outside it. Because you know what? There's some pretty heavy verses in the Scripture. Verses like this in Second Peter. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in it and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better them for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. That's some heavy verses. It would have been better for Esau not to stand in the position of inheriting the birthright than to knowingly lose it and to live the rest of his life knowing he missed it. He didn't stop becoming a son. He just wasn't in that position. It may be that we choose once too often and though we could never lose our salvation, we might lose some promises. And if He does, God is not unrighteous in that. You understand? He is not. He is God. What it ought to do for us is cause us to, to fling ourselves on God's mercy. Lord, have mercy on me for my unfaithfulness. Have mercy on me for my unbelief. Lord, help me. I find great comfort in what it says in verse 16. It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but it is of God that showeth mercy. All of it, all that God gives to us is from His mercy. His salvation is because of His mercy. His call to live a life with Him is because of His mercy. And the great and precious promises that He gives to us, all of it is mercy. He doesn't have to offer it to us. You understand that? He doesn't have to give us salvation, but He does. In fact, Ephesians says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God has been so merciful to us. And in it, He does all the work. 
He saves us. He raises us up. What does He ask for from us? Faith. That's it. All He asks from us is our faith. That's all He asks of Abraham. That's all He asked of Esau. That's all He asked of Israel. That's all He asks of us is faith. It was never automatic for anyone. It has always been by faith. And God in His mercy extends to us that we would follow and accept His plan, accept His salvation, accept His fellowship. Israel rejected, they felt the consequences. Esau rejected, they felt the consequences. I pray that you don't do the same. Listen, listen. you might read the Word, or you might hear it preached. You hear sound doctrine taught. And you hear the purpose of God for you in your life, the calling of God for you in your life. And maybe you say, man, I don't like that. That's too narrow. That's too legalistic. I do not believe that. Okay. It doesn't change it. I do not believe Jesus is the only way for salvation. Okay. It doesn't change it. I don't believe this church stuff and I don't believe this living faithful and I don't believe this eternal promise. I don't believe any... Okay. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing and say, God, honor this. This is my truth. This is my take on Scripture. It doesn't change God's promise. It doesn't change God's Word. And just like Abraham, the answer to our own work is going to be, no, it's my work that I accept. So if you hear His work, you hear His plan, oh, I pray that you would accept and follow in faith. Or maybe you're in the right position. Listen, don't throw it away for beans. Don't throw it away for things that will burn. Listen, we all stumble. We all stumble. We all mess up. But the choice that Esau made and some choices that we can make are different because it's a willing choice. Like, I know what is right. I know I shouldn't or I should or whatever the wrong choice is. I know, but I'm going to do it anyways. And I don't care. That's a bad position to be in. I know what is right and I want this more. Who cares about all this eternal rewards, all this church stuff? Listen, I've got right now to take care of. Listen, you may hear some of this stuff and it may not even be appealing to you. The birthright wasn't appealing to Esau until it came time to get it. And then he runs around like mad trying to get it. Listen, some of this stuff may not sound appealing to you until you see the sky split and Christ coming. But then it will be too late, just as it was too late for Esau. Don't reject the truth. Don't assume we're good. No. We follow by faith. We fall on His mercy and have faith in Him. We don't deserve what He gives us, but yet He does. So why would we not just simply yield to Him in all that we do? 
count it more precious than anything else in our life. He offers that to you this morning. And all He asks for you is your faith. Your faith. He'll do the work if we submit and we follow. If we do follow, you know what the Bible says in Psalm 25? All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto them who keep His covenants and His testimonies. All of His paths are mercy. I pray that you would follow Him in faith if you have not. Let's, let's close in prayer. Father, I come before You and I thank You for this wonderful truth that You've given us. Thank You for the mercy that You've had on me countless times when I don't deserve it. And thank You for the wonderful calling that You've given, Lord. I pray that I would never count it as automatic I would never seek to go around it, but Lord, I would just submit in faith and let you do the work in my life. I pray the same for each one here, Lord. If there's things that maybe need to be yielded to you today or things repented of or commitments made, Lord, that you would do the work and move by your Spirit as only you can. I pray your blessing on this message. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.